Are you ready to accept the Dine and Discover Marana Local Summer Challenge? Support local food and beverage businesses, including restaurants, cafes, food trucks, and more. Track your trips on the challenge card and visit the Marana Visitor Center to earn exclusive Marana merch you'll be proud to wear. What better way to show community pride and support for local businesses? For more information, visit discovermarana.org. Challenge cards will be accepted through August or while supplies last. This program is brought to you by the Marana Chamber of Commerce in partnership with Discover Marana. People lose their valuables every day simply because they forget to lock their car doors. Don't be another statistic. Remove all your belongings anytime you leave your car, including valuables and weapons. This is a message from the Marana Police Department, reminding all residents to lock it or lose it. Welcome to Real Talk with the Town, where I sit down with the Marana staff to answer your burning questions about our beautiful community. My name is Terry Rosema, and I'm the town manager for the town, so let's get started. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Real Talk with the Town. My name is Terry, and I am your host, and today we have with us a very special guest, somebody from outside the organization, somebody who specializes in restaurants, uh, owns a few of them himself, has been in the restaurant business since he was like 14. I think he's now like 25 maybe, but uh, he said he's been doing this for 30 some years. So Grant, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself. Good afternoon, Terry. Really excited to be here today with you guys. Uh, my name is Grant Kruger. I'm the owner and operator of Union Hospitality Group. We currently own a Union Public House Reforma Modern Mexican Mezcal and Tequila, Proof Artisanal Pizza and Pasta, all located in St. Philip's Plaza at River and Campbell in Tucson. And I'm also the owner and operator of the Maverick King of Clubs at Grant and Tangeray. All right, so two very popular areas, St. Philip's Plaza and the Maverick. Uh, and uh, yeah, really uh, wonderful places. And again, Grant, I just want to thank you. And we did establish, I just want the uh, readers uh, or the listeners to know that we did establish before the show that Grant does not have a brother named Freddie. So we're very grateful for that. And It uh, is true. Thank you. I take that razzing every once in a while there <laughs> since grade school. Since but. grade school. Yeah. Okay. For those of uh, for those who don't know uh, Freddie Krueger from St. Uh, or uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. Nightmare on Elm Street, I think, is, is uh, where that's from. But hey, we're not here to talk about uh, scary movies. We're here to talk about restaurants. And this is a big deal for the town of Marana. And uh, so I'm going to read just a few things that came in from uh, some of our listeners, uh, their thoughts on this whole restaurant thing. And uh, I want you to kind of set us straight, if you will, Grant. So you got uh, it. This Happy to help. Yeah, outstanding. So uh, just kind of keep these things in the back of your mind. We're not going to go through these one by one, but this is just kind of sets the stage for some of the, the comments and remarks that we're hearing from our community. Why is it easier for fast food restaurants to open? Um, another quote unquote, another fast food restaurant exclamation mark, right? So we've got too many of those people believe, and, uh, I would probably be in that camp, but, uh, why is the town interfering with the free market? If there's demand, then the locally owned restaurant will come. Okay. So there's somebody who understands economics, um, to a certain degree anyway, and then please stop with the calls uh, for chain restaurants. The town should be small business friendly. And then the last one, instead of fast food and fast food or fast food and chain restaurants, focus on locally owned establishments. All right. 
So as uh, Grant said, he is the owner of Union Hospitality Group and has been in the restaurant business for a very long time, 33 years, I think you said? Yes, sir, Terry. Started at the absolute bottom as a dishwasher, washing dishes and bussing tables. And I think to this day, 33 years later, I still wash dishes and bus tables. I just do it on a slightly larger scale. <laughs> I love it, Grant. And what a great success story, man, to be able to go from a 14-year-old dishwasher uh, to owning three different restaurants, to owning a, a, a bar, uh, the, the Maverick, uh, great success story. And that's why we had you on the show. We're having you on the show, uh, because we had a conversation a couple of weeks ago to kind of talk about what we can do. Cause we started this restaurant recruitment task force and some people think we're crazy for doing this. So I want to get your thoughts on that right off the bat. You know, um, is, is this a dumb idea for us to have a restaurant recruitment task force? Well- First and foremost, I think it's pretty flattering to have a restaurant recruitment task force. I'm not so sure I've ever heard of an elite fighting force like this. Right. I'd like to see what the makeup is of it, of this force over here and the requirements. Right. And it's a task force. It's not a committee, right? Committees right. committees talk about doing stuff, but we're we're a task force, man. We're we're mission driven. We're going to go out there. We're going to hunt you guys down, and we're going to beg and plead you to come plant your flag in our community. Well, it, it's very flattering, first and foremost, to, to see everybody looking for locally owned. It's one of the things I love about doing business in Southern Arizona is there is really an attachment to locally owned, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's, there's something to be said about seeing the proprietor in your favorite establishment and having that name recognition that can be developed in local establishments that just won't ever necessarily happen in a chain restaurant. Yeah. Great point. So let's talk a little bit about why. So why hasn't Grant Kruger uh, done essentially what he's done down at uh, St. Phillips Plaza, which is amazing. I love going down there. I love it when you have the bands out there and you can sit out there in the open space and you can walk around with a beer and, you know, just have a good time. So why hasn't Grant Kruger done something like that here in Marana? Well, first and foremost, Marana is a pretty young community. And as mm-hmm. you guys have noticed over the last few years, there was this minor detail that severely affected the restaurant business, <laughs> this, this whole pandemic thing. And it, and it kind of turned our industry on its ear. It yeah. was one that, that an industry that was having some problems to begin with, mm-hmm. with wages, right? Mm-hmm. Like minimum wage in the state of Arizona has moved up since 2016, since the passage of Proposition 206 to where we now have the eighth highest minimum wage in the United States and the sixth highest tip wage, right? And that tip wage is the wage for servers. The minimum wage currently in Arizona is thirteen eighty-five an hour. Servers and bartenders, bussers, hostesses, predominantly tip positions make ten eighty-five an hour. But with servers making ten eighty-five an hour plus tips, it turns to to quite a substantial amount. But it also is a lot more expensive for the restaurant tour to run restaurants like this anymore. The larger surface area, the more square footage you have to cover, the more servers you need to have, right? And as such, it's now five times as expensive to build a restaurant with a dining room and and staff it in Arizona than it is Texas, who still has a 213 server minimum wage. So Mm -hmm. there's kind of a war on full service as we know it. And it isn't because the restaurant groups don't want to do it. It's that it's hard to afford to do it anymore. How many places do you walk into, even fast food, where you're no longer greeted by a human being? It's an iPad. And you're seeing reductions in square footage from the industry across the board. We've got three of the four restaurants that we operate in our group are, are 7,000 square feet above and above. And these are essentially dinosaurs, Terry. Like they, yeah, people those, aren't, those are big facilities. People aren't building restaurants like that anymore. Even the chains have moved their size from 
from seven, eight thousand, or these ten thousand square foot steakhouses mm-hmm. down to forty five hundred, five thousand square foot restaurants. And I think that's also creates one of the problems that you guys are experiencing here in Marana right now is, is you've got an industry that already was kind of having a bad day with the way minimum wage was moving. Mm-hmm. And then you add in the pandemic where, you know, employee problems were exacerbated to levels we would have never expected. And then add a sprinkling in of, of, of supply chain issues mm-hmm. and cost increases and inflation. And suddenly you've got a perfect storm that makes the environmental conditions for the creation of new restaurants very difficult. So you, you are identifying uh, just one, I, I, I don't want to say obstacle, one challenge. Let's, let's use that word. One challenge after another that a locally owned restaurant is going to face if they want to open up a new restaurant here in Marana. So let me ask you this. Um, the Restaurant Recruitment Task Force. Are we spinning our wheels, you know, by, by sitting down with the Grant Krugers of the world and the Ari's Collective and the Sam Foxes? Or, I mean, are we, are we spinning our wheels uh, here? And is this, is this uh, listener who says, why is the town interfering with the free market? Um, you know, why, why are you going through all this effort? Are we spinning our wheels I, by I doing this? I don't think so. I mean, this is my first time setting foot in the Miranda Municipal Complex. And so, like, just to see the development that you guys have out here is eye-opening for me. Mm-hmm. And so I think it, it is a worthwhile thing to, to make sure that everybody knows that Marana is growing and is business-friendly. And I think creating something like a task force shows that. Well, you know, we, we, we're listening to uh, the people of our community. We, I have, you know, roughly 1,300, close to 1,300 surveys from our residents. Oh, it says right at the top, 1,275 uh, surveys from our community in just a little over two weeks of uh, people who uh, say, hey, we want restaurants and this is what we, we want to see. And locally owned is one of the things that is is repeated in here over and over and over again. Um, but it sounds like that that's a challenge. So if that is a challenge, what, what uh, advice do you have for us and what kinds of things can you tell some of the listeners who think it's just, you know, uh, you know, town of Marana, go out and get some locally owned restaurants and, and have them uh, build here. I mean, what, what kind of... First and foremost, I think it, the environmental conditions are tough. That e- even in a perfect world, if COVID hadn't existed, I think you're going to see less and less full service sit down restaurants. The legacy stores will continue. The investment's already made. It's a sunk cost. We're not going to tear down the restaurants in St. Phil's Plaza just because nobody would build them that size anymore, right? We're going to operate them until it's just no longer economically feasible to do so. But you're not going to see a lot of creation of new ones of that nature. And I think because we've got a lot of new building in Marana, where your opportunities may lie here would be in relaxed municipal codes or perhaps incentives actually on the landlord's side. One of the things that that we didn't discuss yet today and maybe only marginally touched on when we first met was the idea that most restaurateurs, aren't, especially locally owned guys, aren't walking in and buying a piece of dirt and erecting a brand new build-to-suit restaurant in the tune of many millions of dollars. Like to build a restaurant like a union or a former or something, like these aren't like $50,000 restaurants. You know, I've got a flooring budget that's twice that. These are like multi-million dollar build-outs. And so by the time you get into the, the cost of real estate acquisition and construction, the time value of your money, very few restaurateurs that actually have the skill set 
to make you an amazing bolognese or you know make an amazing cocktail menu that's not even necessarily the same guy or girl that has the real estate skill set to construct and for a restaurateur our highest and best use of our capital if you have that much capital would be to build five or six restaurants with that same money that you were renting and not tie up your money into the real estate but instead go multi-unit which is you mentioned the fox restaurant corporation model this is sort of what they do, right? They actually build now and then sell off their restaurants. Hmm. They no longer own the building. They become their own tenant oh, wow. with ne- favorable lease terms negotiated by them at mm-hmm. the sale and then backed by the guarantee of a strong restaurant corporation behind them that <clears throat> they don't have to personally guarantee. And suddenly they're in a favorable position for this, but it takes huge equity groups like that, right? That are worth, in some cases, hundreds of millions of dollars or more when you look into the kind of chains that you're getting now, you know, Darden Restaurant Corporation places, these are billion dollar corporations. Like these are, are major. Yeah, so give some examples of Darden restaurants. So what, I mean, what are some I, of the, what are some of the, uh, the, the chains that are in Darden? So the, the most current ones that you would know, of course, would be like Olive Garden. Mm-hmm. Yard House is like a big pub concept they do. Okay. They were Red Lobster for many years. They spun that one off okay. a few years back. But these are like major chains to where, it's the same menu in every single store across the towns, across the nation, similar price points across the nation, and they tend to make their food in commissary kitchens. The commissary is essentially- Yeah, I wanna, I wanna hear you talk a little bit about that. So the difference between uh, you know, a place like what, what you operate, or and we talked about one of the ones that's really popular in the list here is Cheddar's. I've never even been to a Cheddar's, but uh, you know, scratch food preparation versus the commissary type sure, of- so- yeah, so, let's talk about that. So when you're a nationwide chain of, of anything, what's almost more important than being good is being consistent, right? You think about why McDonald's is successful, right? Here's a, a restaurant group with, you know, 50,000 units across the world. And I can't find one individual over the age of 10 that would actually tell me that McDonald's hamburger is the best hamburger they've ever had. How is it that not one person could say it's the best hamburger ever and yet it's the most successful restaurant in the history of the world. Right. We were talking about a mediocre product that we could all agree is mediocre. We didn't say terrible, yeah. right? It's a six or seven out of 10, Terry, but every single time, no matter where you're traveling in the world, you know what a McDonald's is gonna look like and feel like. You know what a number one combo, you know, is where it's gonna be on the menu and what the color palette of the restaurant is gonna be. And people right. like, that same way they love a local restaurant because of the familiarity and, you know, that local recognition. Well, th- these chains can, can provide that for people too, particularly as you travel throughout the country. Do you pick, you know, Bob's Cafe somewhere or is it just McDonald's, McDonald's. for breakfast because yeah. you know exactly what you're gonna get. That Egg McMuffin may not be great, but it also isn't going to be a two out of 10 almost ever, right? It's going to be consistently mediocre. And so the chains do this as well too. They make their food in large offsite kitchens far away from the restaurant, often in other parts of the country. And everything is, is IQF, like a quick freezing process, so that when it makes its way to the restaurant, they're not really doing real cooking, right? They're not baking bread from scratch. They're not making pasta in most cases, they're not. And even, do you guys do that? Yes, very much so. We're 
Bake, baking your own bread. Very much so, yeah. We're gluttons for punishment. It's a pretty unusual thing. I, I would yeah, say most, wow. most places don't. Yeah, that's a lot. But you mentioned uh, Aries Collective, right? Uh-huh. Nate Aries, a good friend of mine and, mm-hmm. and neighbor as well, too. Mm-hmm. And they do their own baking program as well. But we're yeah. kind of the last of the Mohicans. <laughs> it's, a, it's a pretty laborious process. Yeah. And a very specialized skill set. And you have to have some scale to do it, too. We're lucky that we have a few restaurants that we can do it with. And then kind of commissary, but on a much smaller local level mm-hmm. to our own stores. Right. Generally, you wouldn't build a bake shop for just one restaurant inside that restaurant. Mm-hmm. You build a bake shop and then spread it to two or three or four or use those goods in a few different manners to so that every all, every place can kind of claim fresh baked bread. But it just might not all be baked on site at that exact moment, the same place where it's consumed, if that, if that makes sense. But ultimately, the change use these big commissary kitchens for consistency's sake. Let's go to the movies. Marana Parks and Recreation presents the free Movies in Marana series on scheduled Saturdays between April and October. Movies start at sundown. Food vendors will be on site. Don't forget to bring chairs and a blanket. Visit moranaaz.gov slash movies for the complete schedule. Whether you're starting a business or looking to expand in Marana, our town development services staff will walk you through the steps towards success. Learn about business licenses, development permits, business loans, local and state resources, and more. Let's get to work. For more information, visit moranaaz.gov slash business development. Why would you want to work for the town of Marana? Well, let's hear what our employees have to say. I feel like working for the town of Marana makes you feel like a person, not a number. I really wanted to work for the community where I lived. I have children that play in the parks. Working for a public entity, it's kind of a sacred trust. I like that. It's an honor to serve. The town's mission is to provide five-star service for a thriving community. To me, five-star service comes from within. It's a drive to make your surroundings a better place. Providing community service like the Founders Day Parade, the swim lessons, clean drinking water. Of course, the benefits are great. I get sent to seminars and conferences and town of Miranda compensates vacation. We do have an amazing gym facility, alternate schedules as well. Our employees are also able to telework. My supervisor in particular like really cares about our work-life balance. My colleagues are fun. That's just a fun place to work. We have a culture of friendship. The people in general that work here and apply here all want to make a difference in their everyday life for themselves and for the community. Let's make an impact on our community. Visit moranaaz.gov slash careers and apply now. You step into a big chain restaurant and rather than having a load of grills and flat tops and deep fryers, there will literally be a bank of freezers and microwaves and combi ovens because they're re-thermalizing and reheating product. And most people don't realize that. And I, I love that we do have a a real connection with local flavor in the Tucson metro area, right? It kind of starts with a love of Mexican food. And you've had the the city of gastronomy designation that got bestowed upon Tucson from UNESCO and and a history of great Mexican restaurants. But in general, we've had a a history of, of great sole proprietorships. So tell me the downside of what it is you do. Because you're 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 making stuff from scratch, and like you said, you got you got human beings in there making the bread and and grinding the beef and you know doing all that stuff. So what what's the potential downside there? So the downside is of course variation to begin with, 
right? Like when you make something fresh every single day made by a human being, well, human beings have different feelings, emotions, stresses, right? Sometimes like, although we try to have as consistent of recipes as possible, there's just variation in product. Getting into, we talked about bread, in the environmental conditions in baking bread change nearly daily. And so depending on the, the relative humidity in the air, the leavening of, of that dough can happen at different times. And so you just can't sit there with a timer and say, you must wait X number of hours. It, it's actually, there's a bit of look and feel and, and touch to it that's like a skill set. We've had, you know, labor shortages that have made things tough and it's forced us to put people in positions sometimes that they weren't necessarily ready yet for. Maybe none of the listeners think of restaurant business as a skill job, but it truly is. Not yeah. only do you need to manage the general public well, right, have the gift of gab and be able to be hospitable towards everybody under any circumstance, you also have to know an awful lot about food and food safety. And so, like, having those two unique skill sets together, like to where you're asking a, a server who's 19 years old to be able to not just tell you the difference between a Pinot Noir and a Pinot Grigio, but I also want her to wax eloquently about single malt scotch. But wait a minute, <laughs> I also want you to be a certified dietitian with malpractice insurance because I'm allergic to gluten, onions, flour, water, and air. So go, what's, what's for dinner today? And so yeah. tell me that so that's not a skill. Yeah, that is a skill. And, and I have to tell you, so the, uh, the, we talked a little bit about this. Would, would you say that uh, people in general, the public in general, are pretty gracious when it comes to uh, they get a bad meal or they get a bad drink? How, how do they typically respond to that? Because I want our listeners to kind of, to, to I think you're given like a, a really great understanding of just how uh, complicated and difficult it can be to, to run a restaurant and to have the kind of consistency, do things from scratch, or even if you're not doing it from scratch, uh, it, it can be really difficult. So how, how in general do you see the public responding to a bad day from a chef or from, from it, a wait staff? Everybody's a reviewer. Right. Everybody's a critic. Yeah. And while on, on one level, the data is amazing because the feedback can be very helpful. Maybe you, this house cocktail that you just thought was the bee's knees was actually not a real winner, right? And so on and so forth. But, but many times too, it can be very difficult because once in a while, you're going to have an experience that doesn't meet your expectations. And often they're met with like such anger and vitriol to where the guest will say, I am never returning here. I am so insulted that this experience was so poor. And I think to myself, like, gosh, like waiting an extra five or 10 minutes at like a Home Depot or Lowe's happens to me all the time. And I never <laughs> storm out of there and say, I will never set foot in Ace Hardware ever again. Right? <laughs> like I just wouldn't do that kind of yeah. thing. I wouldn't think that that poor experience would necessarily cause me to write off the establishment yeah. in perpetuity. So but a little grace I, goes a long way, right? I, I like to think so. Yeah. I, mean, I think that honestly, like we know as a restaurant group, we are imperfect or our job to provide perfect customer service is 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 an impossibility for, to, in reality. We're only going to ever hit in like the high 90s in that on our best day, and so we try to own our mistakes and to take good care of of the guests who have a, a rough experience and, and make it great for them, so that hopefully they come back. Yeah, outstanding. So I want to talk a little bit here about your opinion, and I get it as your opinion, but it's an expert opinion, right? And so I've got uh, 1,275 experts right here. 
Excellent. Yeah, I will read through them. They, this, yeah. this sounds like Friday these night people, for me. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, these people have all their ideas here about uh, what they want to see here in the town uh, of Moran and what they think will be successful. And I think there's a lot of great ideas here, but I, I'd like to hear from you. What you know? What do you think uh, would you know, where the town needs to start and what's going to be successful to kind of get the ball rolling like up in this northern part, essentially from Twin Peaks to the north uh, for us. First and foremost, like kudos to you guys for being proactive, for going out and and seeking this sort of information and feedback from from local restaurateurs. As I, I think ultimately to, to get the ball rolling over here, you're going to need to have real estate properties that are sufficient for restaurant use, right? Both in size both in terms of infrastructure, right? The mechanical units, the kind of AC you might need to, to put into a retail store might be woefully underpowered to run a restaurant. Plumbing installations as well, like grease traps and the requirements for these big, new, massive grease traps that... Talk about that for a second, because you explained that to me a couple of weeks ago, and I was blown away at the expense of it, the size of it. I mean, just it's incredible. All, it's yeah. all part of why these restaurant build-outs end up being multi-million dollar build-outs. Well, imagine making a couple thousand meals a night. Well, that's an awful lot of grease. We just can't dump that into the sanitary sewer system for a whole host of reasons. And our, our waste uh, wastewater folks are greatly appreciative for folks who don't do that. So. Very much so. Yeah. Oh, they actually come out and test us. They put in like non-soluble fatty acids with dye in them and then test it further downstream after running it down your drain to make sure that your grease collection units are, are doing their job efficiently. Many years ago, you could get by on a restaurant in our size, like when we took over from the old Acacia space and turned it into Union Public House, it had a 100-gallon grease trap, right? Which is a pretty sizable unit. Think of it as like the size of maybe, you know, eight or 10 like Yeti coolers, like the size of a refrigerator or something underground, right? Maybe it'd be like, an, to give you an idea. Well, that same existing restaurant, when I went to go get a new permit, right, from the health department and and from Pima County to get a certificate of occupancy they said yeah just because Acacia was there a few months ago that old grease trap's not going to work anymore this is our opportunity to have you upgrade we now want you to be a 1,500 gallon grease trap 1,500 gallons of grease 15 times it's the size of three parking spaces it's much much larger than you might expect and then you think of hoods right you don't you maybe turn on your hood over your range at home for a brief moment if you're cooking something like a bacon or, or pan searing something of this nature. But when you're making thousands of meals every day, you need a massive hood. And these things are crazy money. You could have $3,000 per linear foot very easily into hoods. And that's just in the construction part. It's not even the engineering and permits and certified air balance and whatnot. The kitchens are incredibly expensive to build. And again, your average restaurant tour, that guy actually probably doesn't have the money or the skill set to construct these things by their nature. And so ultimately, restaurants can get so expensive to build that I believe the city of Marana, or the town, excuse me, of Marana, would be actually, it would behoove them to throw incentives towards landlords to create buildings that were befitting of a local restaurant tour. I'm not saying TI it all the way out to where it's painted and it has its booths and, and tables and chairs. We, we expect to do those kind of interior remodels ourselves and budget for that. But to have the bones of it. Great points. And, and uh, I think repeatedly we've you know, really kind of highlighted uh, the challenges that go with opening a locally owned restaurant. So let me ask you this. 
do uh, chain restaurants worry, have these same kind of worries, these same kinds of challenges uh, that, say, the locally owned restaurants do? They certainly endure the same expenses, but they've got the economic capacity to endure a less than favorable return on that restaurant, often for many years. Upstart communities always want restaurants to come in. Most, not everybody wants a bar in their neighborhood, but everybody wants a nice restaurant, you know, within walking distance or a short drive. But the thing is, like, we as local restaurateurs can't afford to live out the bad times until the town sort of matures and grows up around it. The Darden Restaurant Corporation, the Fox Restaurant Corporation, the Cheesecake Factory type things, these guys can afford to lose money for two, three, four, five years before the investment turns the other way and starts to get profitable. But the average sole proprietor that literally has their life savings in this, right? Like this is all chips in, like everything they have normally when they're going for a restaurant like this. Like these guys can't afford to take like a, a negative return for two or three or four years. They often have debt service, right? They haven't paid for all of this in cash. And so there's some financing element. So you've got to take a business that is barely profitable on a good day and then sprinkle in a pile of debt on new equipment or a new build out. And suddenly you've got a recipe for a very risky return at or no return at all on these. I, I Years ago, when I moved back up to Tucson, I had restaurants in Mexico for a while down in San Carlos, Sonora, Mexico. And I moved back to Tucson. I was really excited to open up Union, right? I had a couple decades of experience, a 47-page business plan, seven figures in the bank, zero debt, and a credit score It started with an eight. I walked into Wells Fargo and I was like, hi, my name's Grant Kruger. I'd like to get an SBA loan. And they, were, they went through my paperwork and saw all the neat things I just told you and were like, this is great. This checks the box. This checks the box. Oh my, hospitality? And I asked him why. I said, why? Like, I, I have everything that you should, you know, consider me a very viable candidate for a loan product. And they said, look, Grant, restaurants have such a high rate of failure and such low return if we have to liquidate them. And basically, often refuse to lend on restaurateurs in general, unless you're going to put your home equity, if you're fortunate enough in life to have home equity, up on the line as well, too. So in many cases, you're not just putting your life savings out there, you're putting your home, too. And if you fail, you know what's going to happen is the next restaurateur is going to come right behind you. They're going to put a coat of paint on your restaurant. They're going to scratch out the word grants. They're going to put in the word Terry's, right? Right on top. And he's going to do it for a fraction of the price that I yeah. did. And so it's a chicken and egg argument that nobody wants to be the first one on the block. You almost kind of want to be the second and let the first fool put in the kitchens and the grease traps in the hoods. And then you let them fail. And then you take over. The rest, the real savvy restaurateurs, my buddy Ray Flores from El Charo Restaurants has made a, a, you know, quite a living out of finding downtown spaces on their second or third generation so that the tenant improvement wasn't as expensive. That first build, that a good portion of that risk likely is going to have to be borne by the landlords and not necessarily the restaurateur. If you're waiting to find sole proprietorship restaurateurs that have two, three, four, five million dollars to build from scratch, like we could all be waiting. We could be waiting a long time. Yeah, there, yeah. there's gonna be a lot of Olive Gardens yeah. and Dutch Brothers here before we see establishments that, like that one pop up. So incentivizing the landlords <clears throat> in any way, shape or form, be it through property taxes, 
be it through potentially parking as well too. I've had a real devil of a time over the last decade with various parking ordinances in the city of Tucson, of which I find to be outdated. The business model has changed. Not everybody drives to the restaurants. They all take Ubers. They'll take and, Uber, yeah. and Lyft, the whole world has changed. Sure. But our parking codes often haven't. And so they haven't caught up to the technology. And I, I want to segue into this before we run out of time, staffing. Terry, like one of the things we need in a big restaurant is crew. Yeah. Just a place like Union. I've, I've heard that repeatedly as we've gone out and talked to uh, various restaurateurs. That's the, the biggest struggle is, is staffing it. One of the reasons I've stayed, I won't necessarily say, call it midtowns, so say, but at least in the urban core of Pima County is the accessibility to staff. Right, a little restaurant like Union's got a hundred people. I've got you know 225 souls or so that work for me right now, and the grand majority of them can't afford to live in the foothills or in big, new, beautiful single-family homes. You know, on acreage or something in Marana, like they, they often live in apartments or they're students, and they take, they ride bikes to work or they take bus lines and things of this nature. If, if you're reducing yourself to destination only. Like we're out far and you literally have to have a car to come work here. There's no other option for you except for automotive transport. You're eliminating like say 20%, 25% of the restaurant employees out there in the workforce of a workforce that's already not that available right now to begin with. And so when I lose those people, like there goes my entry level workers, you know, like a, one of the things that I pride ourselves on as a, as a restaurant group is giving people sec, first, second, and third chances in life. We not only have a place where I have students, high school and college working in their first job, I have guys and girls out of the penal system, right? Mm -hmm. Probably people you arrested many years ago <laughs> and you're in TBD. You're probably familiar with Perhaps. some of them if you came in the kitchen. <laughs> but, but I say that not jokingly. I say that in a way that like gives them an opportunity to, right. to start over and say, you know what? We've made a couple bad turns here or there in life. But it's yeah. not done for you. Come on in. I got a hot meal for you and a way to <clears throat> to start making some money right away. Mm -hmm. We're happy to have you. Nights, weekends, holidays are our thing. You're free that time too. Perfect. Like, let's do it. And we provide employment to a lot of people that <clears throat> don't have a lot of other alternatives. And so, like, having access to those staff members, like, t physically to be able to be within, say, a few miles of where they work is very helpful to assume that they all have working awesome automobiles to be able to bust up I-10 and make their way here might, might not be as easy as, as everybody thinks. Yeah. And, and as I indicated just a minute or so ago, I've heard that repeatedly as I've talked with uh, three or four different uh, restaurateurs and, and uh, that that is going to be a challenge for us, especially up here in the northern part where we're a little bit separated from the, the populace and uh, certainly growing, but we're, we're not there yet. Uh, so uh, that's something that I was actually just talking to the mayor about that uh, before I uh, came down and started the podcast about how we can go about getting people, uh, maybe even having our own shuttle service and uh, whatnot. But uh, just want to finish up with one thing. You know, if you're, if you're forecasting, all right, I want you to, you know, put on your, uh, your best prognos uh, prognosticating hat here and uh, predict what kinds of restaurants are going to be coming next for the town of Marana? You don't have to give necessarily names. If you have any examples, that's fine. But, you know, what, what's going to be successful out of the gate to, to, to start the ball rolling uh, to maybe get uh, a union pub house or a, 
prep and pastry or something like that uh, in Marana. On the local front, if you're looking for the types of full-service restaurants that have the most chance of succeeding in a new upstart environment, I would say you would be looking at both sports bar type restaurants and breakfast concepts because they have the two things that, that restaurants need to survive, which is margin, right? Sports pubs make their margin, quite frankly, on beer. Oh, cool. They, they yeah. often open with a restaurant liquor license and do a substantial food trade, right? Think of a Trident or something like that locally. They, they certainly have decent food and are a well-executed local little restaurant, but they have a bit of a bar component to it too. Some people might find that a little seedier, but the truth is that sprinkle of alcohol can help make the difference in a restaurant's financials to keep it around. And breakfast over the years too has had substantial growth here. You see, uh, you mentioned Aries Collective, right? Prep mm -hmm. and pastry. Right. But there are others, you know, that that I'm seeing grow regionally between Baja Cafe and between like Bisbee Breakfast Club and, and these type of groups where <clears throat> breakfast can kind of go into second and third, fourth generation spots. Eggs and coffee have pretty reasonable restaurant margins and they can do pretty high volume because breakfast tends to be a lower price. And so it by its nature becomes a less expensive treat for the family than taking everybody out for a steak dinner. And so I think those two concepts are going to be the first ones you're going to see in Marana. When you look for fine dining, a lot of these things just don't even exist anymore in the wild outside of the, the cocoon of, say, a hotel restaurant supporting that. As, as you attract larger resort hotels, they'll often carry restaurants of the you know, white tablecloth or near white tablecloth variety. But those things often wouldn't exist if they were a freestanding business, only as part of the hotel environment where, where their bills are often picked up by corporations, Amex, black cards and things. Can they live their normal life. So I, I'm going to go with sports pubs and breakfast would be the two things I'd start with up front. And I would look into trying to, to create incentives to perhaps have them lumped somewhere close together. As much as we may look at it as competition between each other, Tucson's had great success over the years with Restaurant Row or concentrations of right. restaurants downtown or Fourth Avenue. And even if they're there, well, Quintana has you know real success with the yeah. four or five restaurants they but, have. But these there. kind of things can be fun, like to walk into an area that's vibrant with five or six restaurants and a bar or two, and they're all kind of bustling on the patio, and you kind of walk and choose, pick and choose between them. Maybe even hop between a couple of them, right? Dinner over here, but after dinner, drinks and dessert over there. Super neat. Like that's a great experience. And so if you guys can create that in some capacity, I feel that it would be helpful to actually have a concentration of them you certainly may be able to, again, find some shared parking too, so that you just don't have this massive sea of blacktop that just gives such a suburban look and feel to it and adds a little more authentic urban core to the place. So mm -hmm. I think that would be helpful. Love it. Well, Grant, uh, so appreciate you spending some time here with us today. I, I know for me personally, you know, spending some time with you last week with uh, Amanda and with Kurt, uh, picking your brain and uh, getting a sense of... Uh, you know, what we need to do and where we need to go with this whole thing has been really helpful. Hoping that for our listeners today, it's been helpful as well. So uh, thanks so much uh, for joining us and to our listeners until next time. Submit your questions by visiting MirandaAZ.gov slash Realtalk and we'll answer them right here. To receive notifications for new releases, remember to click subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Also, please follow the town on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to stay up to date on current news and events.